Full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit simplecast.com. One, two, one, two, what's going on? This is at Marcus with the CK Dowling, D-O-W-L-I-N-G. You're tuned in to MNDFCK Podcast. That's Mindfuck Podcast here from the Lion Hotel on Full Service Radio. The Lion is in beautiful, sunny, sunny uh, Adams Morgan, Northwest Washington, D.C. I am a journalist. I am the creative director of Decades Nightclub. And for the purposes of today's podcast, I am someone who has suffered professional burnout at least once a year for the last 11 years that I've been working as a freelancer. What does burnout look like to you? Let's come, come back to that. That's my first question Yeah, for definitely. You. And introduce yourself. And I am Damina Vontana. I'm a professional dominatrix based in Washington, D.C., as well as a sex educator. That means I give lectures and classes and workshops and fundraisers and events on sexual health. And I care about women in education when I'm not talking about sexual health. Damina Vontana on most platforms. Gmail, Insta... Twitter, Facebook. Yes. That so, life. Right. So before we uh, get into the podcast, uh, we read these uh, bit of information. MNDFCK Fill in the Vowels is a broadcast aimed at discovering how, in the midst of chaos, to live our safest, sanest, most consensual and sustainable lives. This is a conversation that lacks rules. We'll say and do whatever we want, but there will be decency defined by protocol every step of the way. So we're talking about uh, coping skills dealing with professional burnout. Um, a couple things that like what does it look like what for is you? It, what does it look like for me? Once a year sounds like a lot. Yeah, it is. I mean, uh, for me, it's just like a general shutdown. Like, I lay in bed and I actually can't physically get out of bed. For how long? Two or three days. Yeah? Yeah. Same is. time of year? Uh, it's usually around the start of fall because I have seasonal affective disorder. So, like, when the seasons change and it gets cold outside, I will, like, hibernate in bed for three days because I, like, prepare for it. Is that burnout or is that pretty normal? Oh, it's burnout for real. Like it's okay. absolutely burnout, but it's but it's but it's the the blend of having the uh, the change in season and the loss of sun and the uh, the air getting cold that will like trigger everything that shuts me down. It sounds like a hibernation trigger. Yeah, I mean, but it's like it it also it's a mini hibernation yeah, spell. It always couples with like that weird time of year, which is like either I'm writing like twelve best ofs. Or like I'll finish. It always it's weird how it works. I'll like write like five thousand. I believe words. you. Yeah, it's I crazy. I just want our listeners. No, 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 to no, no, no. I'm just trying to explain it. It's like I'll write like five thousand words. I did this once. I wrote a five thousand word history. The 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 history of dance music for a Complex. I wrote it. It was done. Went to bed. I tried to like get up the next day to like go out. I didn't have anything. And then it was coupled by the fact that it was, the floor was cold. I was living in a place that had like a concrete floor. The floor was cold and it was dark outside. So you know what your, uh, um, there are symptoms, there are triggers, there are like landmarks. Like you know what you're vulnerable to when it comes to burnout. Yeah. And I try to, and I try to, I've, and in the last year, I've tried to be more cognizant about it. Yeah, exactly. And even then, I still feel like the pang of it. Well, I like how you said you prepare for it. Yeah, like I'm, I, I try to be very well prepared for it now. Like I'm actually trying to like, not that I'm slowing down because I'm certainly not slowing down like work-wise. Ever. Never, ever. So it's more of a case of like 
taking on work in manageable bunches. And I guess that gets to like the, um, the, the, the management of burnout bit that we're going to talk about on this podcast. Is for me, I take on work in manageable bunches. Like I've gotten to a point now, and I think this is just a thing about like working in the same industry for a while and becoming very good at it, is that you're able to like time your work so that you'll start a project in the project at a certain time so that then you can always have like that little buffer time where you can kind of like chill out and then pick up some more work and then pick up some more work. And then like you're kind of like mitigating against ever burning out. Well, you're managing your resources. Right. So as your far, cognitive yeah. load, your emotional equity. Right. So as far as for you, because the one thing I appreciate about you. Oh, my. Is that. Okay. Here we go, kids. So the one thing I appreciate Libras about you. Libras love flattery. Bring it. Right. Is that you have a set. You're always aware of where your emotional and physical load is. As long as I'm not getting mind fucked by an abusive partner. Yes. Right. But even, but even still, like. You're always, even when that's happening, because I know you, <laughs> you always find a way to like speak to that Well, yeah, and then because, work with it. Yeah. Well, that, so self-care was my survival mechanism through right. those years. So if you could speak to, uh, speak to like how you do what you do in that regard. I like to feel good physically. Yeah. I don't like to be in emotional discomfort. We've discussed that I'm not big on conflict. Right. Um, and that, but that's like a Libra thing, I feel. Yeah, but yeah. for me, what would motivate me was some relief from the misery because what I learned about addicts over the years who are in active addiction as somebody who's speaking from a place of codependent recovery. I've been emotionally right. sober. I clock myself at like about 18 months now. Okay. But I've been in the program on the Al-Anon side since I was 12 years old Right. in Alateen. They, they're miserable and they don't know what to do and they don't want to be alone in their misery. Right. So no matter what it takes, they have to make sure that you're miserable so they're not alone. Right. And I'm not down with that. Right. But you never realize you're in an abusive relationship until it's too late to not be in it in the first place. Not right. too late to get out, yeah. but not too late to not be right. in it in the first place. So um, I have, I mean, I have karmic cycles. I don't, Whatever. So I was in these things, and I didn't want to be there, and I ended up in them a lot longer than anybody should ever have to be in them. Right. And to survive, I did anything that made me a little less miserable and sort of reset the balance of this person who was trying to pull me down. And So they're picking fights. They're fucking with your shit. They're lying to you. They're playing head games with you. They're getting drunk. You're getting kicked out of your house. It never ends. But whatever I had available to me that I could carry with me became like my self-care practices. Right. So um, I always have something in my purse or on my body that is some sort of lotion that's usually lavender perfumed or rose water spray or something that that helps replenish not just like my hydration but reminds me to take a moment for myself and lavender is relaxing so I try and layer up because you don't right. always have a lot of time for self-care and as we discussed on the walk over it really is a lifestyle yep and so um, I always have Good body care products. I take baths. I stretch almost every day. I wouldn't say I meditate, meditate, but I spend sometimes hours every day in self-reflection. I'm also a bit of an introvert and an isolationist, yeah. which ended after I met you. But um, <laughs> you're pushing me, shoving me, kicking and screaming out into this world. Um, you have a message worth hearing. Yeah, and I surround myself with beauty, right. uh, whatever beauty is accessible, and I don't discriminate when it comes to beauty. 
I think there's a spectrum, right. a wide range of what is beautiful. So whether it's man-made or it's natural, I spend a lot of time in nature. Um, and I, I try and invest in myself uh, daily. So my right. basic routines are pretty helpful. Like, I like to drink. I have a couple of drinks every day. We all know this. Right. I smoke weed. But um, I don't eat meat. I don't eat gluten. I have a very active lifestyle. Yep. So for me, it's about living. It's about pleasure. So that doesn't mean getting rid of everything and being perfect. It means finding balance. Right. So a thing that I wanted to bring up um, in regards to this is the, inf- is the impact of social media as a trigger for people who are attempting to you know, manage their lifestyle and discover self-care. Um, 20 years ago, when I first got, or 25 years ago when I first got on the internet, the internet was great for self-care because you could kind of fiddle around and, you know, zoom around and discover all sorts of sites and fall in internet holes and, you know, learn about all sorts Find of things. Find your tribe. Right, exactly. But I feel like we're at this place now where all of the tribes that were initially there have been found and all of the people are together. And it turns out people are pretty basic. Yes. So a number to bring up. Um, the number of users on Facebook. There are 1.74 billion people on Facebook currently that have Facebook, that have Facebook memberships. Uh, active users are about like maybe 45 to 50% of that. So still, 1.74 billion people. That makes Facebook the largest country in the world. So if you sign on to this device, although you have 5,000 friends, you still have groups that you're a part of, like you still have pages that you follow, and you still get people's other you know, information to filter into your feed. So at any given time, day or night, you have literally 1.74 billion people yelling and screaming about any great number of things at you in the midst of a time where, more than likely, because you're not interacting with people in real time, which is typically how people feel antagonized who need self-care. Yes. You're still... It's difficult. Yeah, you're still dealing with a negative situation. So I bring this up only because I find it hard for people to advocate and practice self-care because you could try to do it because it's become an industry. But I feel like because there's so many like, you know, things that exist that are just part of our lives, like walk around with phones attached to our hands all day long. It's a tool. Depends on how you use it. But that's just my opinion. Right. But I mean, even in that sense, like most people don't use it correctly not that there's wisely. a corrector wisely okay there's a not that there's a wiser one wiser corrector and correct but they don't use it in a manner that assists in aiding aiding simple and basic self-care and so i feel like what happens so what you know what i did the first year i had a device in my hand you do? the old blackberries yeah i laid in the bedroom in my dungeon and i researched absolutely every spiritual occultist topic I had ever been curious about and they were all online and after a year I put the phone down and I was like well <laughs> okay well that's that right. like, I drilled all the way down and it turns out again it's about five or six things going on and everything else is just a different version of that Yeah. but I wanted to learn and that's how I use my right. phone I use my phone like that every day right and I noticed that but, like, there's, but there's a generation <laughs> of folks who are younger that generation YZ, whatever, that don't do that. That ultimately are using social media instead of conversation as a tool to engage with people and to carry out the, the, the simple, okay. So people carry out the simple arguments of their day. 
simple arguments like, you know, paper versus plastic, whatever, on social media and engage large communities and large universes of people. And it turns into weaponized anger in conversation. Whereas I feel like there was once a time where if you had this conversation with somebody person to person, like if, I had a, if we had an argument about paper versus plastic, we could solve it in like five minutes. But if we did I it, just tell you, do whatever you want. Right, but if Because I did, don't care enough to fight about that right, topic. But if we did it on Twitter, yeah. and people saw our thread, and jumped in our thread, then it becomes a whole prolonged thing. And then it involves... If me. you respond, right. yes. Right. But, I'm just, but a lot of people do, which is what I'm saying. Yes. <laughs> yes. So, I'm, I, so I'm just intrigued by that because I wonder about how much of an impact does the <clears throat> digital social media age have on people attempting to achieve consistent and sustainable self-care? Well, we won't know for several decades, and the self-care movement is sort of a new one, so that needs time to become um, what we were discussing, okay, practice versus lifestyle. Right. I think self-care is a lifestyle. Yes. It's not a practice. Right. Because we were talking about, um, like, okay, so one of my favorite things that I do is yoga. Yoga, of course, has become an industry. And to me, industrialized self-care removes a lot of, like, the unique soulfulness and, like, the inherent, like, personal piece of the whole thing. Well, I think any time you go to class to learn, you should always have a private practice. I've been to a lot of yoga classes over the years, and as anyone who's been in my home will tell you, there's yoga mats and foam rollers and yoga blocks everywhere. Right. So once a day I do it, I wouldn't call it yoga but I take time to stretch and get grounded and find my tight spots. And um, uh, yoga classes are hard for me to follow because it's very technique-driven some of the time. Right, of course. And I just like to kind of close my eyes and listen to my body. But that's a skill that has to be taught. And I think yoga class is a place where people can learn to listen to their bodies. But I think that... But in the places where it comes from, it's not a, it's not a practice. It's a lifestyle. Right. So I guess that ties into self-care then and trying to like... How do you lifestyle that? Routine. And I ask you this because... And things that are simple. Right. I ask you this because as somebody who works in the sex, sex work industry, industry yeah. I'm there's a, a lot of well, protocol... I'm a sex worker, guys, in case right. you missed yeah. that part. Yeah. I'm a dominatrix who identifies as a sex worker. There it is. Bam. Okay. So the thought that there's protocol involved in this and creating lifestyle. Well, protocol helps because it creates ritual. Right. If there are certain steps you go through at the end of your day or certain things you do each day to, to get in touch with yourself, um, that becomes a, a ritual. Uh, you know, lots of people pray at certain times of the day, and sometimes people write or journal or they go to the gym every night. Right. Whatever it might be. But it becomes a ritual. And if there are certain steps to it, then it can become spiritual even. Yeah. And I think that... So uh, my, my sense has always been that you can't find something that's that intensely spiritual in a classroom setting. Depends on the classroom. <laughs> but that's just... <laughs> I'm a... You know what I am. No. Um, you know, I get it. I get it. Right. I don't disagree with you, but I still think there's a benefit to it. Okay? There's a biological and a, and a, phys- a, a physical and, a, and right. a spiritual element to most things. And this... This is no different. Right. So I would rather have somebody in yoga class than not in yoga class. Right. Or, you know, in... But I feel like like there's a a connection then. So you have to, like, do it in the class, but you also have to carry those applicable lessons out of the class 
into like real time actual life. Well, that's why I think we missed it. Okay, when we brought yoga over, we tried to despiritualize it. Right in right. the beginning, when yoga was hot, I would go to these classes, and every class had to have a disclaimer: "This is not a religion. We are not teaching you what to believe. This is just an exercise." Basically, is what they a, were saying. But that's exactly so the they point, took though. out all of this because they were afraid of offending Christians. Well, it's America. Because that's right. who was in the class. Right. Because that's who had the income and, and the time. And I, I would catch a class whenever I had fifteen extra bucks. And right. so. Um, I have appreciated that in recent years, more teachers are choosing to include some of the traditional spiritual lessons or yeah. mantras or whatever they call it, along with the yoga right. practices. And I just find it useful. And, and, you know, like they say in recovery, take what you want and leave the rest. So I would like instruction that is more well-rounded, as my mother would say. Because <laughs> when you try and leave something behind that's always been part of something else... You're acting... That's not right. Right. So, I definitely... I, I want to get into something before we give you three minutes to, you know... That, riff wow. on what you oh do. Oh, my God. That's your head. I'm working on my mic, guys. Yeah, it's all good. So, my mom passed away. Oh, we're on, in. Yeah, we're in. We're, we're going in. There. Okay, it. so my mom passed away on... Thursday, was it? It was the Thursday. The 14th. Yeah, Thursday. And um, this week hasn't been easy. The last four days of my life have been kind of like... I always tell people, like, I do things to stay youthful because I don't ever want to get old. Um, I always feel like I'm emotionally 20 years old, which is, has its benefits and, you know, perks, but it also has, like, incredible negative stigma because people, you know, when you work with them, they're like, you're, you're not mature. But That's why you turned and said that thing to me? Yeah. Okay. But um, Not to, like... Give up, but I didn't know, and it's something that happens to everybody. So yeah. why don't you tell them what you said? Well, I mean, for me, it's like I aged twenty years yeah. in two seconds. Um, God, I'm gonna go deep here, but whatever, it's what I do. Um, I I haven't seen my mom since she passed. I you know due to circumstances, uh, bagged her up, brought her out. I can't look at her face. So um, it's kind of crazy. Like, the last memory I have of my mom, I took a picture of her on Instagram. You can see it. And that's awkward because it's like, okay, so the last memory I have of my mother, which you would want to be like, you know, her face, eyes closed, whole thing. Um, I'm not going to have that. And the hardest part for me in trying to cope and deal is that I don't have that final connection. So I've, like, obsessed about trying to remember the way that she was when her eyes were open and her body was not failing. And that's largely been what's motivated me and tried to like give me a sense of like how to proceed. Um, to preserve her memory. Yeah. Okay. yeah well, it's not even to preserve her memory because I'm past preserving her memory. That's a, that's Your a, memory of her. Well, no, no, that's not even it. It's, it's not even preserving the memory. It's working with it. All right. So I think that that's a method for me of uh, coping and self-care in the midst of all this. Is, um, and I offer this to anybody going through sim a similar situation. Is um, think about the person that's no longer with you. And what they did, like work-wise, like as a human being. 
as like a caring, you know, concerned human being who occupies space in the world. And take their work ethic and take their compassion and the things about them that people look at and go, that is an admirable trait about this person. And that's what you carry forth because that's the easiest way to like make their memory a working, sustainable thing. Because a lot of people are just like, I carry so-and-so's memory forth ever since the day that they died and I do this job or whatever. And to me, that feels very two-dimensional. And I live my life in like multiple dimensions. Like I live my life in like three, four, five dimensions. Yes. It's a thing. Simultaneously. Simultaneously. Constantly. Yes. Like I'm a constant person in constant motion in multiple directions at the exact same time. And, <laughs> Just laughing. Right, because it's true. <laughs> it's so true. But the key now is since my mom passed, is being able to like move with actual intention. Because I never had that. I didn't have that for 11 years. Like I burned myself out every year for 11 years because I worked myself to a nub because I didn't have intention to any of the work that I was doing. The intent of the work that I was doing was to reflect the culture that I was living in. Okay. Well, so I, I feel was, like that's an intention, but I right, see but your no, point. But, but I was not intention. It's like, it was not a self benefiting yes. intentional action in like a emotional sense. Well, that's another one of my favorite self-care tips. And another thing I've been accused of over the years is I play the long game. Like, if, if, if it seems urgent, it probably isn't. Yeah. And um, I feel like the more I take my time on things, the better they are. Because life has a way of working itself out. Mm-hmm. And, I agree. And a lot of this wisdom I'm sharing I did get from, you know, the program. Like, I'm allowed to talk about the fact yeah, that I'm in right, the program. Of course. Um, and um, sometimes when we try to help we actually end up doing more harm. Right. So by stepping back or practicing gratitude or keeping my eye on the long game, yeah. I'm in more of a receiving mode than right. a giving or a controlling or a helicoptering mode or whatever the opposite of that might be. And for me, that's sort of how I walk in faith. Right. And for me, walking in faith means trying to stay in the moment and trying to stay aware because right. I feel like if I do that, all 13 of the mantras I live by are alive right. and they include things like I already have everything I need. Mm-hmm. And it just, it's, a, it's, um, because otherwise you burn out. Right. <laughs> you so don't like, manage your time. No, exactly. you, you're not aware of what your emotional resources are for a given project. So, so it's, it's crazy. Cause like, those are just as important as material resources. Yeah. So like, it's been crazy, like approaching the work I do from a level of like, I have intent to it now. Yeah, because now you're grown. Well, yeah, and now it's even deeper. <laughs> 20 it's, more years, boom. Right, boom. Just like me, that. Right. So it's like I have intent to this work now. It's like I do this because I'm motivated by a spirit of giving that is greater than myself. If there's any one thing that I've learned about my mother from talking to like literally 50 people in the last like four days is that, okay, so give you an example. Like, my mother had terminal cancer. Didn't tell anybody. Kept giving. Now, if she had told people that she had terminal cancer, 
they would not accept her gifts. Like, if you think about it, because I was thinking about it last night. If everybody in the world knew, oh, Kaneda's going to die in eight months, 12 months, when she bakes the cake, when she makes the chili, yes. or she does all whatever. All the things she did. Right, all the things she did. Nobody's going to accept this, because they're going to be like, this cancer-stricken woman with, with, with one good knee who walks around on you know, a crutch. We can't accept her Mm-mm. food. We can't accept her kindness. We can't accept her decency because she's going to die. I have a feeling your mother was a no-pity zone. No, of course, right. So she's like... She wouldn't have tolerated. Yeah, she wouldn't have tolerated. She would have just thrown the chili on the floor and gotten out. So that's the thing. You know, like you learn that and you're like, okay, so like the intent of my work is to give until it hurts and not in a way that actually hurts me because the fact that you're giving until it hurts just replenishes you. And the second that you start to realize that you're giving and it replenishes and it, it replenishes in equal measure. Flow. Then it's a flow and then it creates a positive balance. Positive feedback loop. Right. And that's, and that's the, the, the benefit of... Symbiotic relationship, what a dynamic balance, whatever. Yeah. Right. It's sustainable. Yeah. It's like extraordinarily sustainable. So like if there's any one positive thing that has come out of like the last four days of my life. It's like learning the biorhythm of what that feedback loop looks like. And it's a, big, uh, it's a big fucking loop, just to let people know. Like, I have more energy now than I've ever had at any other time in my life. Don't worry, guys. I'm keeping an eye on him. <laughs> like, I can do a lot of stuff. Because as long as I have the ability to know that, like, it comes back yeah. to me... Well, because I, um, the life she led and worked that hard for and, and, and set up for you and her it is, is the embodiment of that. And you're just going to pay it forward. Right. And it's crazy because like when you see... That's legacy. Right. When you see the like... So like another moment and then I'll get to your three minutes. Oh, I'm good. Um, the other moment that got me was... Okay. So... I'm a new homeowner. It's a thing. It's weird. Because I, I never expected to own anything a day in my life that's 1,500 square feet. It's crazy. So I'm like, I walk in, and you see the expanse of, of the home. And you understand, like, the importance of... Because my mother used to always say to me, Marcus, if you ever fucking sell this house... I will whip your ass from the grave. <laughs> and I didn't understand it. Because, yeah. like, I'm looking at it, and I'm looking at, like, the housing prices in D.C., which we talked about with Geronimo, like, two weeks ago. Yes. And I'm like, yo. The gentrification. Yeah, I'm like, yo. So if I sold this to some, like, hotshot gentrifier, I could make, like, a quarter of a million dollars. And be homeless. No, not even homeless. <laughs> it was crazy. It was even deeper than that. When I walked into the house... And I looked at the will. Even crazier, full disclosure, you were standing right there. I was. I'm I here at, for this. I look at the will, roll it open, looking at it. I, I see who's gets, who gets what, and I'm like, oh, God, the deed's in my name. This is my house. And I look around at the expanse of this home. And then I realize that my mother got this home 22 years before I got this home. 
And she had the same moment where it's like, okay. That's true. So I've been given this thing that I can get rid of. I can choose to get rid of this. Or I could look at this home. And I know my mother is not this kind of thinker. She's, She's literally the most nuts and bolts, like straight ahead thinker that there ever lived in the world. Which is why she was so strong. But I'm like, okay. So if I lose this energy that's in this home, there's like 65 years of like people's Your time, family. love, yeah. karma, decency. Even at the worst moments, even in the biggest fights, even if like my mom and my grandmother fight, even if I'd fight my mother, even if she threw me out of the house at 23, it's <laughs> a thing. Thanks. So there's still this energy there that ultimately, because it's like the container that held your family together. Yes. Like, I can't give that to somebody else and have them, A, understand what I'm giving them on any level because you can't. No. There's no way you can understand like this level of karmic energy is like Mm -hmm. in this physical domicile. Not three generations in. Here. You superseded that. Right. And even moreover, I can't denigrate the legacy of the people who ultimately gave it to me. Not that they wrote this down or said anything. But with the specific goal in mind that I would improve upon that energy, that legacy. That I would take all of their work, all of their time, all I of their I do spirit. feel that that message, it was strong from her and everything I've, I've yeah. stood next to you for this week. That right. was a very strong message. And it's like, okay. From her to you, yes. So I have to like carry all of that ahead. And I say this only in this conversation about people burning out is... The greatest way to avoid burnout is to create sustainable community around yourself in real time. So this even ties into the digital aspect too. As much as you think that like do, 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 work, 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 engage, 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 does anything. And it's another one of my mom's isms, and we've talked about this one before. Um, If I give you a rope, you can either make a a lasso or a noose. Um, Everybody makes a noose. People hang themselves left and right on social media every day. People hang themselves left and right in, like, real time by not engaging with people every day. Like, the metaphorical. Like, just, they're done. Um, Need more lassos in the world. Need more people, like, actually taking the time and reaching out and saying to people... Come into the room, sit down, what is going on? Like, why are you engaging in behavior that is possibly negatively impacting the world? Like, why are you not talking to me in real time? Why are we not doing these things? Um, I think that's an important part of the conversation when it comes to, like, predicting, protecting yourself from burnout. Like, putting people around you to almost like guard you and you guard them from like any of that 
Because if you have a space where you can go, where you could stare everybody in the face, and you could come to consensus, and you could feel good about yourself, and you could create positive karmic energy, that's enough to like keep you moving and not ever burning out. So like you just have to be cognizant of that and slow it all down and do that just to replenish. Because people that don't do that, and a lot of people don't do that because they have, we're in a gig economy now where people have like five jobs. People have 17 paychecks. People, you know, like- Two boyfriends. Right, two boyfriends. <laughs> they have all sorts of stuff going on all at the same time, simultaneously. And they make no time to stop. And even if you did something like engage, 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 you have to stop and not look at it as like, because people feel like we're, Here's the one thing about the digital age that frustrates me, which is why I mentioned it so heavily in our promo this week, is that in this age, we've moved so far away from being concerned about each other to being more concerned about catching up with the speed of the globe and how fast it's spinning. It is dizzying right yeah. now. And like literally, like because we have so much access and so much and, and we have we have too much access and too little time. Well, we thought that would always be the case with the internet. Right. We being the collective. I mean, we have, we've heard that from the start. Um, it's a matter of scale. Yeah. Like, I like your model, but I only think it's sustainable on a local level. Yeah. And I think that tribalism is... Hyper, hyper local <laughs> level, I want to mention. Well, yeah, like maybe your block or your house, um, your home, your, your family by choice or design. Right. I guess families by choice are designed families. But um, so to... The shift that I want to see occur is I do want tribalism to go from the national level down to the localized level um, because I think um, at that size, tribes are very beneficial right? and that there's many positive aspects to them. And I mean, any family or social structure always, is always going to have its, its challenges, right? but um, we need to come together, and I see that like as one solution. You yeah. know, that's that's how I have to lead my life because I don't I don't have any traditional family available. Right. But I, mean, I really like the one I chose, <laughs> so I'm so very happy. So I mean, it's yeah, I think it's also easier to do things in packs of five and ten. Well, this is the way much of the rest of the world functions. Right. But they also speak to that. Speak to that because we were talking uh, about Asia. Okay, so I mean, it's the individualist right. versus the communal mindset and um, I know that there are pressures and insufficiencies to both but a lot of my friends from Asia and much of the people I spoke with during the year that I was in Asia they admire America because you can do your own thing like if you know if you're willing to piss off your parents and maybe take an alternative life route you can follow a dream right society is set up to not let um, conformity prevail but there are benefits to different levels of conforming or right. coming together or supporting each other on a smaller scale. Now, we don't look alike in this country. We don't even speak the same language. We have different religions. But we can still come together, and what we can learn from those people who live here, who are part of us now, that maybe came from that part of the world, mm-hmm. is how to function like that. Because I will, I will give the testimony, testify that over the years I've had many friends that were children of, of immigrants or who were immigrants themselves, and they lived in multi-generational houses, and they didn't get 
you know, didn't move out until they got married. And I saw over and over again where when I was trying to like buff this, you know, buck up against this city alone, and I didn't have anybody to do that sort of reflective conversation with, to have sort of a permanent dialogue with, that I didn't always make the best decisions. But my friends who lived with family or had some sort of community on the nuclear level, let's say, or the block that they functioned within, they had so much more of their emotional needs met at all times that they just had a better baseline and they weren't as vulnerable to, to, to traps as I was because I didn't have that sort of support and stability. So I saw it work for them over and over again. And then you go to Asia and you see it and you're like, okay, guys, there's something to this, so, but there's also something to the reason so many people love America and want to come here, which is the individual freedom. So we're looking for that intersection. Right. So speaking to that real quick, mm-hmm. um, a party we love, Adobo, day party that's uh, coming up on uh, April 13th, uh, DJ Pedro Saturday. Night. Saturday. Exactly. My, my buddy Walter, myself, we came up with this party about... Big Chief. Almost a year ago. Ivy and City. And it's funny because on like a conceptual level, it was Walter and um, Daniel, it was uh, Waltero and Pedro Knight talking about like, we just want to play classic Latin music and modern Latin music in the same space. I was like, that's cool, but you're missing the real opportunity here, which is to play upon what you were talking about. Because if you look at the component communities Mm -hmm. that we target market this party to, they are communities that come from multi-generational homes and yes. we're playing multi-generational music Fantastic. in order to attract <laughs> these Good people nice. who have yeah. already had this notion beaten into their heads subconsciously as children that you come together to hear the music of your parents, your grandparents, and yourselves it all kind of like has similarities and, you know, sound alikes. And, you know, we go through all genres and kind of like find that, like those connective ties. But people come and people are always like, well, how did the party do so well? How did it expand so quickly? In eight months, it's done so much. Because there's actual dancing at this party. But it's actual. And it's just like bump and grind, which right, I love. Right. But there's actual dancing. There's this, again, a social structure already in place for you to interact with people. Because people, because this is. You can ask are, someone to dance. Right. Because these are kids who come from a multi-generational space of knowing to dance. I, yeah, amen. Like, you, your, your, your grandparents partner dance. Your parents partner dance. My parents partner dance. I partner dance. Right. Then I moved to the city. Right, and it doesn't exist. And then I started doing Latin dance, because right. that was the only partner dance. Right, <laughs> yeah. there you go, especially yeah. when you come to a place like D.C. So, yeah. to that point, and I think that, and not to, not to advertise this party, like, please come to this party, because whatever, like... You better I get mean, your ticket now. Yeah, exactly, if you want to come, like come you should come but i'm saying that the thing that makes it work is that for everybody that comes to the party it's a fascinating thing so we do these like promo videos dan does these promo videos and the one thing that everybody always mentions is that for like five hours they get to like feel completely transformed away from whatever's happening in society right now so they get to come to this club, hear all of the most comforting music. They get to let go. Exactly. And they have community. And they have a community. That's defined by choice, but with the parameters and the protocol layered in yeah. that everybody that's around you 
is somebody who shares in their family tradition something inherently similar to what you grew up with as well. Which is why, as my Argentinian leather elder slash mentor kept reminding me the whole night, V, I think you're the only blonde here. <laughs> it's weird. And I was like, madam, I support Marcus. I mean, I love the music. It's okay. And then like 20 minutes later, oh, look, another one. She's just shading me it's all just, it's night It's funny long. because... And because everything you said is true. Yeah, and it's a thing that like... I guess she's my connection. Oh, you know? it's but the beautiful part, and, I always, and that's why I knew you would pick up on it immediately when we like started going out to this thing, was that you growing up the way that you grew up, coming from where you came from. She's also born in Cuba, guys, just for the right. Like, there's she's a, the real but deal. there's a split real, real. where it's like, if you're from a certain area of the country, as, as, a, as a Caucasian American... Uh-huh. You understand community in that way because you come from like Understand clustered, it in what way? Uh, you come from clustered, small, cloistered spaces where people are Urban or rural spaces? Rural, like rural spaces. Yeah, like tiny towns. Right. People are forced together because there's nowhere else to go. Like you can go, but it's like it takes 50 years to get anywhere. Yeah, but anywhere. we don't really come together like that. We've had this discussion several times. When I hang out with, with you and your friends and, you know, the... the POCs in our lives and and y'all just you talk all the time about each other your lives where you're at what you're doing what's going on in the world what makes sense what doesn't and because you're always contributing to each other's thoughts and ideas and dialogue there's just a fucking finesse there that I've never experienced as a white person in my culture we don't, why would they want to self-reflect and realize what they're doing to the world? That would be complex, difficult, inconvenient. I just, um, it's, um, in my opinion, um, a coping mechanism, a type of self-care right. on a community level. And it's a really beautiful freaking thing. Like you and your friends, you guys take care of each other. I've only been to Mexico once. This might sound cliche, but I stepped off and there was just like heart chakra everywhere. Like I didn't understand that if I wanted to feel love from an entire people, I just had to get on a plane and go somewhere else in the world. Like there's, I mean, Japan might be a lot about duty, but there's other ways of being around this world that have what we don't. And if everybody comes together, then we have everything. And that's just sort of my piece on life. Perfect. That's a perfect way way to close. I mean... Always be learning from people. Mm-hmm. They have a lot to offer. So what do you have coming up? What's going on with you? Don't be afraid to like go and try something different. Like I had to learn to do the accent when I was in Japan. Because I could read the sounds and the letters, right. but their accent is different, right? Yeah. And I felt like if I tried to say it with their accent, I was somehow making fun of them. Right. I quickly realized you actually need to try the accent. Like, try and say the word like the people who speak the language say it. It's almost a sign of respect, but it made me feel very invalidated at first, but I had to push past that. Right. And now, not right now on air, but now I'm pretty good with Japanese accent. One or two words. Um, Yeah, so what's coming up? Oh, three minutes. For real, for real. Yeah. Okay, guys. So, um, I officially, um, I'm I'm obviously not going to be in Seattle this week, so I wanted to update people on that. But I will be in San Francisco on April 20th and 21st. 
That's a Saturday and a Sunday. Um, I have limited availability. And I'm also looking, so get in touch soon. Uh, DeminaVontana at Gmail is the best place to reach me. And I'm looking for a, woman's, a women's party. Um, I have a friend who's new to the scene. I want to take her to her first event. But I checked the uh, Citadel, and there's nothing on their calendar for, like, the one Saturday night I'm in San Francisco. Right. So I'm trying to poke around on FetLife. But if anybody has a recommendation for an event while I'm out there, even like a Sunday event, just let me know. And I love workshops. I don't just mean a play party. Um, and then I'll be in Sacramento um, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And I think I'm just going to lecture and hike. Like, I don't I think it. I'm going to work while I'm in Sacramento. I think after this week we could all use a little little break. And um, that's part of what self-care is, is it's, it's scheduling time for yourself. It's making yourself a priority. It's doing the things that you love unapologetically and with a plum absolutely so you know? find us uh, available on uh, Instagram Twitter and our Facebook M-N-D-F-C-K-P-O-D-C-A-S-T uh, also uh, you know you can listen to us on uh, the full service radio uh, website also mndfck.fullserviceradio.org also you can listen to us Stitcher uh, Anchor all over the, uh, the podcasting universe um, as always we close our show with a song by the wonderful Aaron Abernathy it's called uh, Generation. It speaks to a lot of what we do on this podcast. So have a good day and better tomorrow. Tell the winter stands, one nation divided, by one man, fight for your freedom, for your liberty, and yes, we the people, we unity, LGBT community, black, white, Latino, Asian. Native American, let's come together and save the nation. My mind. Here, 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 here. Or the land of the